everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Steinman. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hello, Bulletproof Podcast listeners. Welcome to another week. We are excited to have you joining us today. Brittany and I are going to talk about words, and this episode is called Phraseology. And really, we want to just kind of break down. We're doing a lot of talking all day long in our operatories, and I just think there's some really intentional ways we can go about that to make us as effective as possible Um, Communication is where it's at, and so we always want to focus on being better, more effective communicators. So we're going to talk about some phrasing today and some some words and phrases that we might use. And I think there's obviously kind of an overarching phraseology just for life in general that will also bleed over into our hygiene practices and how we're communicating with our patients and our team. Um, So I want to start with some that I just think are big life phrases that are important for us to think about and address. Um, And we'll just, we know how those will kind of bleed over. So the first phrase I want to... uh, Wait, wait, wait. Before you jump in, I have something to say. Yes. I love that today we are talking about words because it's kind of like thinking about thoughts. You know, we're going to talk about words. We're thinking about thoughts, but... I, I really think I obviously I'm on the same page with you. And I think that um, a lot of the way that we successfully or unsuccessfully communicate with others is it goes back to our, you know, internal monologue, you know, the, the thoughts that are kind of recurring in our heads. So I think that that's the purpose of this episode um, is, is to like look at our, our own monologue and how, what that creates in regards to our energy, what we're projecting, um, and how we're communicating with others because that's where it all starts. And some of this is like deep, you know, like some of it's like, all right, we've had these recurring thoughts and we might not even notice some of them happening because they've been there for so long. You know, we might, we might have like a lot of automatic no's or automatic yeses. And I know that we're gonna get into some of that, but this is a really good um, opportunity, I think, to reflect on some of our automatic thoughts or some of the communication that we have with ourselves throughout the day and how that impacts our communication with others. 100%. And, you know, we're, we always talk about, Brittany and I always talk so much about the me filter and we filter everything through me and our, our own perceptions and our own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just want to keep that in mind too, as we're thinking about this, because, uh, you know, as soon as something hits our brain, it hits kind of those automatic reactions and thoughts. Um, and some of that may happen today. So I encourage you to, to kind of step away from the me filter and just kind of step back and look at this because anytime that we are trying to implement, implement change or something different, we've got to be willing to kind of step back and look at the big picture and uh, change some of the, the presets that we've been dealing with. So that being said, and thank you for making that point because yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first phrase is help me. And I think sometimes this gets hard for us 
Um, I don't want to make too many generalizations, but I feel like a lot of hygienists are, are more A-type. We're kind of tend to be a little more control freak. We're detail oriented. We've got our routines. We've got our ways that things are working. And sometimes for some reason, it gets really hard for us to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to get past that barrier because hygiene is a team sport. Life is a team sport. Like we can't do it by ourselves. And for some reason we get in this mindset of like, I got to do it all. And I got to be able to manage it all. And I got to be able to carry this weight. And if I have to ask for help, that makes me look weak or, you know, that makes me look like I can't do it or like I'm not enough. And I think that's just like a ridiculous lie Mm -hmm. that gets in our head. You know, we, we, we have a lot of culture telling us, you know, that as women, especially, you know, for those of us, female hygienists, like we've got to be strong and we've got to have it all together and we've got to, you know, be able to, to do it on our own. And, you know, there's some value to being strong for sure, but we can't do it on our own. Right. And there's, there's value, there's value to, there's definitely value in finding our own individuality. And I think that that's an important part of hygiene because in reality, we, we are on hygiene Island a lot of the times. And I say that because we are working autonomously throughout the day. Like I think many of us don't work alongside hygiene assistants, we all work on the dental team. And absolutely like dentistry is a team sport and hygiene has to be a team sport. It takes the whole team to make any part of it run successfully and especially to make all parts run successfully. But I think the physical like isolation that we experience daily makes it more difficult for us to realize that we even have the option of asking for help. You know, like I I remember in some of the practices that I worked at before coming to Spodak and as as a lot of you probably know by now, Spodak's a huge team. We've got about 40 team members seven hygienists right now, you know, I think about 12 doctors, we've got, we've got a big team, a lot of supporting, assisting admin um, staff. So I have a lot of opportunities throughout the day and a lot of resources to be able to ask for help, you know, but I, but I think in a lot of practices and I've experienced this where like, I, I've been the only hygienist in a practice, you know, like, who do I ask for help if I can't get that piece of calculus or who do I ask for help treatment planning this? There's no other prevention specialists on site. So like, how do we get um, like the mentorship and that feeling of being able to ask for help? I think sometimes we've got to create it for ourselves. So sometimes I think, you know, when we're thinking of the day-to-day hygiene stuff, like asking for help, maybe like, hey, can you get me a nomad? Or, hey, can you help me restock? Or, hey, can you help me with um, HVE for this patient who's having a difficult time with the water and the Cavitron? Um, and those are like the urgent help me's. But I think in the big picture, a lot of us need to step back and be like, okay, how do I get help if I, if I am feeling like I'm on hygiene island? Do I need to reach out uh, and ask for mentorship? Do I need to you know, join like a, a hygiene forum or group of some sort? Do I need to, how can I get connected with other hygienists? Um, what resources can I use to ask to help me in the big picture you know, so that we can plan to be successful? So whether it's the little help me throughout the day, maybe um, coming up with ways to um, get your team involved in supporting you and ask how you can support them if you are on a very small um, private practice team. Um, there are ways to do that, but also there are ways to get connected if you are like a, an only hygienist. And I think that both things are important. Both help me's are important. Yeah. And I find this just in life in general, too. I mean, being a full time hygienist and, you know, running bulletproof hygiene like we do, and being a mom of teenagers and running a household. Um, 
you know, getting everybody to practice and games. And, you know, there's so much going on that sometimes I even catch myself like feeling so overwhelmed by all the things. And I had to like stop and be like, wait, it's okay to ask for help. Like I literally can't do all this by myself. So I think giving ourselves permission for that and knowing that that's the reality, like if we're trying to carry too much, we're going to break down. We're going to burn out. We're not going to be able to make it. So just giving ourselves permission and thinking through like who's around that can help me. And, you know, this is not like a shameless plug, but I mean, Brittany and I, this is the whole reason we exist is to be able to help support um, our fellow hygienists and our fellow dental teams. So, you know, if you haven't joined our Mighty Network app yet, do that because it's such a great forum to say, hey, what are you doing for this? Or how do you think I can manage this better? Or I'm doing this and it's amazing. You know, I just think community is so important and, and we can't do it without that. So help me would be our first one. Yes. And, and, you know, the type A part of that, I know that the type A plays into this too, because we are very, um, I, I think that hygienists, you know, and dentists and a lot of people on dental teams are very like detail oriented. We tend to be perfectionists and, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress, you know? So for me, I know that at the beginning, it was really difficult to know when to delegate things to or who I could trust to delegate certain things to. And I think that that's a learning process for everyone and and on everyone's team. And so if you ask for help and someone says no, I encourage you not to stop there. I know it can be very hard, you know, as type A people like, no, I'll do it. And it's hard to relinquish that control and to, like I said, delegate appropriately. But like, if you get one no, or, you know, a little bit of pushback or not the best support the first time, I, I strongly encourage you to reach out to someone else you know don't stop with the first no get the help that you need even if it requires like several help me's you know and and don't just give up um it's hard to ask the question in the first place and i know how it can feel to get the pushback when when that question was already hard but i encourage you just keep reaching out until you find the support that you need and you get what what your needs met basically yeah and i want to piggyback on what you just said about delegating Um, I can speak from the experience of when I first started doing uh, double book assisted hygiene, it was really hard for me in the beginning because I had already been practicing for 14 years. So I had my system down. I knew what I needed to do. I knew what I was responsible for. So when I made the transition to having an assistant help, I had a really hard time of like prying my fingers open to let her do things that I otherwise would be doing to be like, wait, is she going to do this right? Is she going to do it to the best of the ability that I would do it? Like, this is, I'm responsible for this. So I got to make sure it's done right. So there's that aspect too, of like, we have to be able to, if we're really going to accept help, we have to accept that it may not be the same way we would do it. That's where some training and communication comes in. And oh my gosh, what if somebody else does it better and we learn a whole new way? So it's that like initial fear of like, well, I could ask for help, but they're not going to do it the way I would do it. So I might as well just do it. Like I find that with having teenagers sometimes too, like, Hey, could you clean that for me? But then in my head, I'm like, they're not going to do it the way I do it. I might as well just do it. And boy, I, if I do it that way, then I just stole the value of them being able to learn a new skill and being a, a teachable moment to show them how to do it the right way. So there's that too, that I think comes through with a lot of that, like a type control freak, like it, right. it's easier for me to do it for myself, but it, it robs other people of the opportunity of learning and growth as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, like you just said, sometimes we can learn from other people's processes. And I think it's important to keep in mind, there's more than one right way to get the ideal outcome. And if someone else, you know, I've, I've come to the point where for the most part, I don't care what the process is, as long as you get the results and it's in an ethical and effective and kind way, 
then like, I'm okay. If you, if someone does something differently, like, great, maybe I can learn from, from them. But I think kind of letting go of our rigid certainty and letting go of the way that we think things should happen or be can be a really helpful thing in regards to this too. And I think, you know, another barrier to the, the help me um, request can be, um, you know, our ego and feeling like we have to know it all. I know that I definitely feel that way sometimes. And I have to question my own intentions. Like, what do I want here? Do I just want to make something better? Or is this about me? Like, it's really not, it's really not about me or what I know or what I don't know. It's about, you know, serving our patients, feeling good, empowering everyone, making sure that we're fulfilled in what we're doing and making sure that we're, everyone is doing their best, you know, like that's all, like no one has to know everything. It doesn't have to be hygiene Island. And then, you know, conversely, what Sharissa just said is like, it may involve, if I'm asking for help, I have to communicate really specifically what I want help with and maybe even what I want the, well, definitely what I want the outcome to be and maybe even how I do it. So maybe consider doing it that way, you know? So if I'm asking for help, let the, the person know what the, what I want the outcome to be. This is why I need help. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is what I'm trying to achieve. What are your ideas in regards to this? And then kind of like making it this open dialogue thing. Yeah. And I think that if, if we don't often ask for help and then we start asking for help, it, it may be one of those things that involves a lot of work and communication on the front end, but on the back end, it's going to involve a lot less. We'll be doing a lot less running around, a lot less work. If we've successfully delegated and communicated our expectations and our needs and our wants to someone who's helping us, that sets everyone up for success. It sets them up for success, sets us up for success. It, it creates a, a really great team rapport and environment. So that can take a lot of practice and a lot of maintenance of what has been communicated. You know, we don't just communicate once and then expect, you know, every single thing moving forward from there to be perfect, but it, it'll make our lives a lot easier and a lot better if we can get to a point where we can just ask for what we need and communicate very directly. Yeah. So what you just said about ego is going to lead me to another phrase. And that is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel as clinicians, that seems like a scary thing to say, right? Because I think our patients expect us to have all the answers and know all the things. And I, we know a lot of things, but with the constant change and development of new technologies and new research and new findings, we're not going to know everything. And that's okay. Again, we got to let, let ourselves off the hook. And I think it's actually a great thing when we can say to patients, hey, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out with you. I'll find out for you. Let's learn it together. It's empowering for that patient. And I think it's just so authentic and real yeah. You know, if we're coming across as I know everything and I can tell you all the answers and, you know, sometimes I almost feel like that's a little, that air of uh, superiority instead of just being real and going, oh, you know what, that's a really great question. I don't know. Let, right. let me find that out for you. I think that's so huge. And I think it lets us off the hook to be able to say that. I just think that's so, so important. Well, remember too, at any point in time, we're surrounded, even if you work on a very small team with a wealth of knowledge, you know, our team does have unique education that we don't necessarily have, you know, our dentists went to dental school, our assistants went to assisting school, you know, like our, our admin people are fluent in uh, treatment presentation and insurances, you know, we can tap into those wealths of knowledge, just like they can tap into ours at any given time, you know, so I think that that's a, that's a great point. And saying, you know, when I think of when I've gone to a doctor and um, a doctor, you know, maybe who isn't a specialist in something, if I ask them a question having to do with like another 
area and and they kind of like project what they think the answer is and they're not really sure it's it's kind of like trust diminishing almost you know when we say i don't know and i can help you find the answer or but i can find out you know like i feel like that's trust building because of exactly what you just said it's just authentic uh, people know that you're being honest with them like no one knows all the answers i connect and i think most people connect best with people who are being honest and we can kind of sense that yeah for sure and I think so much of it has to do with, we talk about this so much, but our mindset on it. You know, if we're stuck in that fixed, rigid mindset of this is what I know, and this is who I am, and this is how I do things, and I just can't broaden myself or get beyond that, we will find ourselves stuck and stagnant and burned out and just you know, not feeling fulfilled. But if we embrace that growth, growth mindset, that means we know we don't know everything. Right. So I think, I think we should stop what you said, what you just said is really important because when we say, I don't know something and we make that mean something in our heads, like for instance, I don't know. So I must be stupid or I don't know. So people are going to think I don't, you know, I'm not educated or something, you know, I, those are the thoughts that we really need to examine because most of the time it's just not true. If we look at facts, like everyone doesn't know at some point in time you know if we can just get honest with ourselves and identify maybe what's keeping us in that stuck position it's going to be a lot easier to get out and and i think that we need to be really aware of what we're making things mean so if i don't know doesn't mean that i'll never know it means i don't know right now and i can learn so that's growth mindset if we if we say i don't know and uh that's it i, I can't learn i can't learn how to do that i never have been able to um, this person's going to judge me or whatever. Like that's a, that's a fixed mindset and it's keeping us in the same spot. Right. Yeah. And I think I've actually talked to some hygienists that this particular issue has kept them stuck as, has actually kept them from presenting treatment yeah. options to patients. And that's where it really gets uncomfortable because the whole reason, our whole why for doing what we do is to care for our patients, to give them the best options, to let them make the best choices for themselves. And if we're stuck in fear of the, I don't know, and you know, oh my gosh, what if my patient asks me a question about this and I don't know the answer. So I'm just not even going to talk about it with them. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, you're, you're totally undermining what you're trying to do for your patients in that. So it's a huge thing to, to, again, allow yourself the freedom to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And if you're finding yourself stuck in, hey, there's services that our practice offers or products that our, that our practice offers, and I just don't know enough about them and, I'm, and that holds me back, then that's, you've got to you know, take that responsibility to say, hey, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to really get to know this well on a personal level. And maybe that's, again, that mentorship of going to another hygienist who's really good at it and saying, hey, help me with this. Like, how do you talk about this? And answer all these questions for me so that I can be better at this. That's that, that growth mindset and that, that curiosity of going to find what it is you need to do to be yeah. able to be better at that. And it's, and it's okay to let our patients know that we're not static. Like we're growing and developing too. Like we're also people, we're not encyclopedias. We're not, we're not Google, but we have Google at our disposal and it's okay to like Google in front of patients if we're not sure, you know, like right. we, we have so many resources. It's okay to say like, I don't know, but I can find out. And I think that this is, that's a great point. Like this is a, a hard thing for hygienists to kind of get over or get past. I've heard a lot of hygienists say like, oh, I'm scared to try this because what if, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? We have all been there. 
we've all been there. And it, you know, in those circumstances, I think honesty is the best policy. I have said to patients, you know what, this is super new to me. So, so I don't know the answer. You know, we just, we actually just onboarded this and I've read all the research and I know exactly what it does, but I don't know the answer to this question. Let me get your email and I can email you about it later. You know, it just, I think it's, I can't drive this point home enough that progress is the enemy of perfection. You know, we've got to strive for heading in the right direction, getting better every day, not for knowing all the answers and being the best and being the smartest and being, you know, whatever, because it's just not real or relatable. People right. like the honesty. Right. And I think you said that backwards. Perfection is the enemy of progress, but that's okay. We know. Oh, did I say progress is the enemy of perfection? Yeah. Yeah. Being progress, getting in the way of perfection. No, <laughs> perfection is the enemy of progress. Well, and what you just said is true as well. Like we don't want to be static and think about us, our own experience. Like if we're going to a physician for an issue, we don't want to go to a practice where they only do this every time and there's nothing new happening and they don't know any new research and they're not doing any new technology. Why would we do that? You know, we are, we want to go somewhere that's progressive and moving and growing and learning. And so those are the expectations that our patients have of us as well. So, you know, I think, like I said, it just, it, it brings such a vulnerability and an authenticity when we can say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Mm -hmm. I want to see, I will take imperfect growth all day over like static behind the times, right. you know, old research. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists, it's Brittany and Charissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here, our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job, it's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success. It's all there. Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click courses on the left-hand side for all the details. Our next phrase or actually term, which is yet. I don't know this yet. Mm -hmm. I can't do this yet. Um, you know, I shared that we uh, started using the iTero scanner earlier this year, and I was really intimidated by that at the beginning. Like, oh my gosh, this is new technology. I don't know how to use it. I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I, in my brain, I had a, I had an internal conversation with myself of like, Sharissa, I know this is hard. This is uncomfortable. It feels, you know, wonky as I'm trying to do this and it feels backwards and I'm very uncomfortable and I don't know this yet but and, I'm going to master it. And Sharissa, how long have you been practicing? 25 years. Right. So you've been practicing 25 years and you don't know everything yet either. Yes. So I think it's safe to say none of us do at any point in time and Correct. we will always be growing and always be learning. And that's what keeps us excited. Yeah. That's what makes our careers interesting. That's what yeah. makes science and medicine so like invigorating and exciting. That's what, honestly, it's what keeps my like, why developing and keeps like our passion and alive for hygiene. Like we don't know it all. We're still learning. There's so much more to learn. Isn't that great? Yes. And that's yet is that key to that growth mindset of when you feel that initial like stuck, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable about this. 
you know, somebody comes in and says, Hey team, we're going to start doing this, or we're going to start using this new product. And you, and you know, that you have that very immediate, like, Oh, great. Mm -hmm. If you will internally say yet, yet, this is new. It's uncomfortable. I don't know how to do it. You know, I'm scared, but yet is the key. I can get there. I can do this. So I just think that's huge. And in any arena of life, not just our, our hygiene life, but you know, we're always going to come across circumstances that are hard and uncomfortable and new and fresh. And yet is the key to that. I think we just have to embrace that. For sure. Um, my next phrase, and I know I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, but I think this is like so huge for life in general is I get to, because so many times we can trudge through our lives thinking through all of the, oh, I have to do this, you know, and it's the, the old school, you know, they used to have the Dunkin' Donuts commercial in the morning that was, you know, the guy's getting out of bed and he's dragging himself in in the morning. And it's like the whole, it's time to make the donuts thing. And you're just exhausted. And it's like that, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I have to put up with that patient that's always late and talks for 20 minutes or, oh, that high maintenance patient is here or, or, you know, oh, whatever it is. If we can reframe that from, I have to do this to, I get to do this. This is a gift that we get to do every day, whether it's, you know, serving our families or con connecting with others or serving our team members or communicating with patients. We get so many gifts every day, mm -hmm. but it has to do with how you're mentally framing that. And if you find yourself stuck in the have tos and the uncomfortable, not necessarily wanting tos, and hear me, hear me clearly. I'm not saying, you know, if you're stuck in a really bad situation and it's not healthy, then, you know, you maybe shouldn't, you know, pre-frame that with I get to. But I think it is worthy to look at the situation and say, am I just so stuck in I have to that this has become miserable? Right. Can I pre-frame it with I get to and make it a good, healthy, productive thing in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know for me, some of the um, I have to's every single day or I have to, this is going to sound crazy. I have to clock in and clock out. That for some reason drives me absolutely insane. And it's constantly an I have to. And also clinical notes. And I think that this is probably, everyone will empathize with me here. I have to write all these notes and I have to be specific and I have to la 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 And yeah, I get to, I get to empower myself to have the information that I'll need going forward to have the best rapport and the best clinical outcomes for this patient by completing their clinical note comprehensively. That's like the brain switch that could happen. I am currently still stuck in, I have to, you know, and I'm moving to, I get to, complete these clinical notes. I get to clock in and clock out every single day. I get to pay attention to the details and, you know, even the, even the um, kind of redundant or seemingly like minuscule things like that. So I get to, I'm changing my mindset right now. Yeah. And I find myself oftentimes getting overwhelmed with all of the life things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm, um, I'm a very quick to react person as far as like communication goes. So if I get an email or if I get a text from somebody like my, who I am is like, oh my gosh, I have to answer them right now mm -hmm. because I just feel like that's important. And, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm learning, no, I'm, I don't have to do that right at this moment, but I also will get kind of overwhelmed and bombarded by all of that coming in to me. Mm -hmm. And I start to think, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And I have to do this. 
And if I can just stop back and take a breath and say, you know what I get to, I get to connect with that person. I get to help guide that person. I get to communicate that with that patient to, to lead them to their best options. I think that's just a total game changer in, in life, in every arena. And, and in some cases I get to delegate and ask for help. Yes. <laughs> I wish that I could delegate my notes, but that's not reasonable. So I get to write my notes. Yes, for sure. Um, I think another really important one in life in general as well is I see you. I feel like there is, we all have that very basic need to be seen and heard and felt. And I think that's really important when we're connecting with patients, because sometimes we get stuck in the total chaos of that shrinking hour and having to get that patient in and take their x-rays and take their blood pressure and get the note dropped and you know do the, all the assessments and educate and do the, the therapy or the hygiene or whatever needs to happen. And it's just that roller coaster of go, 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 go. And I think we sometimes forget to really see our patients as human beings that we have the gift, not get to, but you know, have to, but get to have the gift to really impact their lives in a very positive way mm -hmm. and to connect with them as fellow people and encourage them in life, but also really get our, get to physically put our hands on them and take care of them. That is such a, a gift and a, and a wealth. And so many of our patients come in and they want to be seen. And that's when we're really going to win our patients over to yes and to make them a lifetime member of our practice because they are feeling seen and heard and helped. Yeah, and I think, and I think the same goes for our teams. Like we wanna be seen. People wanna be seen and yes. heard and they want to really, really deep down, we want to be understood, right? And I think that for clinicians or anyone in medical, it can, it can feel, and it can, it can be a really heavy, um, a really heavy like hat that we wear or thing that we, you know, put on is like being fully present with someone who is, you know, emotional or who, who is like divulging a lot of life information. So I think it's good to, when we're seeing and hearing and understanding people to also have healthy boundaries and realize, you know, this person might have a problem and they want to communicate it to you, or they want to talk about the, they're going through a divorce, or they want to talk about, you know, they're having, you know, life difficulties right now. It's, it's okay to hear those things with healthy detachment, meaning I understand you and I, I hear you and I'm acknowledging that you're going through a really hard time. And at the same time, I personally am not taking on your emotions. I'm not taking on the stress of your situation because I think it's when we try and you know, fix something for someone or fix someone that we're taking that on and that becomes exhausting. So I think that like a healthy way to like see people is acknowledge what they're saying, you know, actively listen to them, be present with them while having that healthy sense of detachment. Like it's not, it's not actually my problem. It's, it's your problem. And that, that human being, I can influence them and give them maybe some tools and whatever insight I have. But at the, at the end of the day, it's not my responsibility or responsibility to change the outcome for that person, especially with, when it's a personal problem. And I think that, you know, that's a really important thing to prevent burnout. So really important to hear, really important to empathize, but it's not taking on those feelings and emotions, you know, and the same with our team, we can be there for them and support them realizing that I, you know, I'm responsible for my problems and my issues. And those are the things that I'm going to focus on. 
if someone specifically asks us for help resolving a problem, we still have a choice in that. Like, is this the healthiest thing for everyone if I actually get involved and help this person? And it's the same with our patients. So it's okay to, to look at situations on an individualized basis and have that detachment. Yeah. And I think COVID has kind of done a number on us with um, all the new PPE protocols. And, you know, there's a whole lot that happens for communication from a um, physical level. You know, they say that 90, 93% of communication is nonverbal. And so COVID's done a number on us because now I feel like there's even more of a barrier. Um, you know, I know for us in our practice, we don't take our masks off all day. So our patients are never seeing our faces. They're not seeing our smile. They're not seeing those facial cues of, of empathy when, when they're talking to us. You know, we've got the, the shields over our faces and, you know, the, you know, the hat over our hair. And like, I, I just feel like we even seem more distant now to them. So I think it is really important to make the eye contact is huge because that's how you acknowledge that you are being seen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it gets so easy to, you know, just be on the computer and dropping the note and asking the questions and dropping them in and never really stopping to look our patient in the eye mm -hmm. and say, how are you? And that's something I'm very intentional about is my computer sits behind the patient's head. So in order for me to drop a note or enter anything in, I've got to be kind of behind them where they can't see me. So when I see my patient, I'm really intentional about going and sitting in front of them first and just saying, hey, how are you? How's, how's your summer going? How's life? What's new? And making that connection before I even start talking about anything else. Right. And, and I think, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's also really important and I know this is probably going to be not the most popular thing to say, because obviously I know we are all here to be productive for our practice, but I think there are those times, and clearly I don't think they're often, but there are those times where our patient does have a lot going on and they're not ready for the big news of, yeah, you've had all this stress as you're going through a divorce and now you're taking an antidepressant and you have dry mouth and you've got all these other factors and your home care has been really poor because you're not sleeping at night and you're not doing your home care and you're just, you're, you can, you're barely functioning to load all of that, to take all of that and load on top. Well, now we're giving you a periodontal infection diagnosis and we need to do, you know, $1,400 of, of care for this. That's a lot for a patient to take on. So seeing that patient and seeing where they're at and being empathetic and mindful of that maybe means that day we just have a big conversation about it. Yeah. And we step into that diagnose with, diagnosis with them and say, I see you. I know you've been going, going through a lot. I don't want to add to that, but we do have this going on. And you come to me so I can take the very best care of you. And I'm going to do that. We're going to do this together. We're going to figure it out. I don't want to create added stress. But at the same time, I want to take care of you. And this situation that's happening in your mouth isn't a healthy thing for your current situation. Mm -hmm. So let's sit, let's look at this and talk about how we can do this to make this best for you. And maybe that patient leaves and I didn't actually have much done today from a clinical standpoint, from a product productivity standpoint, but we've just connected with that patient in such a way that we know they're coming back and they're going to take all those recommendations down the road. Yeah. And, th and that's our whole purpose, you know? So our whole purpose is to educate the patient. Our whole purpose is to empower them, give them the tools that they need to, to make the most educated, you know, um, decisions for their own health, you know? And sometimes, like you said, yeah, the, there are plenty of opportunities for same day hygiene. And sometimes, you know, if we're truly sitting in a situation with a patient and realize that this might not be the best thing for them that day, 
That is the best thing you can do from any standpoint, including financial. So hear me out for a second. So I think that sometimes people get an idea if we don't do same day hygiene that we are losing something. But really, I, I think we're winning. I think you know that connection and rapport is what keeps patients are, are raving fans, basically. Like they will continue coming back for that connection, which will lead to higher profitability on the back end. You know, we don't have to worry about that. When Teresa and I say like profitability is a natural side effect of, you know, amazing team culture, amazing rapport with patients, like solid systems in place, solid like communication, solid love and passion and fulfillment with our careers and making sure that we're at our best selves, we mean it. So if that on that day looks like, you know, educating the patients, like Teresa just said, that that can be the best thing for everything, including production and collections. Like I, I have a patient who um, I can think of a specific example, and I'm sure that you guys can think of a, a lot of them too. You know, I had a patient who I've been seeing for a very long time. Uh, she's had ongoing perio health issues. She now has, you know, bone cancer. There's a lot of systemic comorbidities. We've had some difficulty controlling her perio disease. We've treated it multiple times. She's now using perio trays. You know, we've, it's like this ongoing fight because of the host response. And of course her, her weakened immune system and her stress levels and side effects from uh, chemo and different medications that she's taking. But we had to retreat her, her perio. And of course that involved clearance, but even when she got the clearance from her oncologist to under, undergo this treatment, you know, she came in in an emotional state where she wasn't ready to face needles and nitrous. And she was just like, so apprehensive. And I've seen this patient for such a long time that I, you know, I put her on the nitrous. She started, I, I could see the anxiety, you know, I could see and sense the anxiety. So I sat her up and said like, Hey, what's going on? And she's like, I'm having a really terrible day. Like I I'm not like emotionally prepared for this. And I said, let's reschedule. Like, why, why are we going to force this? Like, it's not, it's not about me here. This is, this is about you taking the very best care of you. And and we did reschedule her and then she did fine. You know, she was, she came back on a more emotionally prepared day. And this is a patient, you know, granted I've known for a long time. This isn't her MO. She doesn't do this repeatedly. It's not, it's not a show or like a cry for help type of thing. Like it was a sincere moment where she just needed a minute. She needed a human day and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I think that our emotional intelligence is what helps us to make those determinations and, and take the next best step in whatever the situation is. Right. Well, I just had a patient on Thursday who came in, she had come in for a consultation um, a couple weeks ago and she came in for her first hygiene visit and she brought her three week old baby with her. And it's funny because my doctor's like, why would she do that? And I'm like, you know what, honestly, probably cause she's a new mom and she's scared to leave her at home because what if the baby gets hungry or, you know, dad, I know, I understand dads at the beginning are kind of like, whoa, how do, how do I manage this? So that's fine that she brought her. And the baby was fussy and was crying. And I could tell that mom was getting like more stressed just in the body language of trying to deal with this. And I, and I just said to her, look, I don't want you to get stressed. I love that you brought her. She's so beautiful. Um, we're we're going to do as much as we can do, but I'm not going to pressure us. Like on a, I'm not in a hurry. Take mm -hmm. the time to calm her down. We'll do what we can. And so we did a full assessment and I had two hours with her, which we ended up not using all of because she, we decided, you know, we, we're going to bring her back. She actually does need some 
um, periotherapy. And obviously that was not the time to do that, but you could tell she relaxed when I said that to her, like, you know, I'm okay. I'm a mama. I know what this is like. It's okay. If she's fussy, that's not bothering me. It's okay. If you need some extra minutes, it's okay. If you need to keep checking on her, um, because you know, as a new mom, I know you're very hormonal and this is all very new and you're, you know, trying to manage this and it's a whole new world. So I think, yes, just seeing where that patient is at, sensing what their needs are and meeting those that's what makes us the best clinicians we could possibly be and the best humans we can be when we're, we're seeing each other where we're at and meeting each other's needs. Absolutely. 100%. So our next phrase, and this is definitely not really a phrase, it's just a word, but this is a huge word in life. Some of us struggle with this a lot. Some of us, it seems really easy for, I probably need some coaching on that, um, but it's the word no. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay to say no. Yes. And no is also a complete sentence. It is. That is one of the most empowering lessons that I've learned in life. Um, however, you know, I think that on this point, no and yes are very powerful words. And this is another inflection point because I can think of people, you know, at work whose natural tendency is to say no. Like, I think that, that that's their kind of like automatic. It's like, no, 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 I'm busy. No, I'm busy. No, I can't help you. No, 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 no. And that's not great, right? So I think it's important for us to reflect on what is our automatic tendency and why, right? So if I am saying no chronically and constantly and my team doesn't feel like they receive my support, you know, like a, at all or often or whatever, and no is my go-to, it's a, it's a good time for me to say, okay, why is that? Am, am I tired? You know, why am I saying no? Am I, am I exhausted? Am I not managing my own time effectively? Like, why am I constantly saying no? And conversely, like I can think of people who constantly, constantly, almost always say yes to the point that they're not able to carry out all the yeses, right? And both things can be damaging. So if we're saying no constantly, it, that's like unavailability to our team. That's not really fair. Right. But, but this is where the awareness comes in because I used to be more like an always yes person, like at, at the expense of my health, at the expense of my sanity, at the expense of my own schedule. And that's not healthy either. You know, right. so, so knowing that like, okay, I'm a person who automatically gives too much to the point where I'm in deficit and I can't give anymore. That's helping no one. That's not helping me achieve what I need. That's not helping my team in any way. So I need to know I need to pause. I think that's the most important thing in saying yes or no. Now I, I pause. Anytime someone asks me, hey, can you help me with this? I want to pause and ask myself, whatever the answer is about to be, can I truly commit to that? And if not, how can I empower this person anyway? So if I have to give a no, I can say no, but I know who can help you right now. I am not available right now, but I know who can help you. And, and also empower the no further. Like, I'm saying no, but in the future, I can say yes if you give me notice, or I can say yes if, you, if you'll empower me in this way, or I can say yeah, you know, like set them up for success and realize like these things, like as much as no is a complete sentence, like great, sometimes it, it requires no explanation and you don't owe anyone an explanation. No, but like, the, but I can help you next time, but this person can help you is, is helpful to get the team to be open for to asking for help and open to asking you again in the future. We should be available to our teams, right? And and you know if we're saying yes, just really important to 
to make sure it's an actual yes. There's nothing more damaging than a yes and then not coming through and not holding up your, your commitment to yes. So a no is better in that scenario than saying yes and then not following through. Yeah. And I, I resonate with you very much. I am very much a yes girl. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I do think that there's definitely, I challenge all of you to kind of get into your own heads on this and, and kind of evaluate, what do I say more of no or yes? And why? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me that yes is, uh, you know, I, I do want to serve others. I do want to do everything I can for our team and our patients. Um, you know, and if I'm being super real, I want to be liked and I want to have it all together and I want to, you know, be everything to everyone. But the reality is exactly what you said, that will, that, that diminishes my ability to do things well, because the reality is we cannot do everything well. I'm going to say that again. We cannot do everything well. And when we have a hygiene team, when we are practicing with other hygienists, it's so easy to fall into that trap of, oh, I hate this comparison mm -hmm. to be like, oh, well, she's doing that and he's doing that well and she's doing that well and kind of like, but I'm not. And you know what? That's okay because we're all wired differently. We're not going to do it all well. We yeah. cannot. Right. So I think just getting in your own head of why you say what you say, whether it's yes or no, and, and kind of finding that middle ground of either yes, but, or no, but, or maybe like, just start with maybe like, you know what, maybe I'd like to help you there, but I really need to look at how much time I have available or what commitments I already have. And I think that's so empowering and important to, again, allow yourself to say yes or no without having to have all the, the explanation of why that's the other thing is you don't owe anyone an explanation if you know it's something you just can't manage right right well and well and i think you know going back to the um like wanting to be liked thing this might be a tough transition for some of us to start saying no or to start saying yes because people expect whatever right. we've been doing all yeah. along you know so if yeah. i've been saying yes 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 and then suddenly i'm like no, I can't help you with that. That might, that might be a tough transition. Yeah. So just kind of like be prepared for that. You know, yeah. if you're making a change that often makes people around us uncomfortable and that's very natural and normal. So it may, at first, people may be put off by this. People may be like, well, I don't understand why you're telling me no. And all you have to do, this is really, really tough is be concerned about the outcome and people will see it eventually. Like most people are, you know, people are reasonable. People are smart and resourceful. Like I've noticed when I say no, people now don't, don't get really offended as much. At the beginning, I think that people were a little more taking it like personally. They thought it was like about, about them kind of thing. And that might be a them issue that they need to work on. But it's okay to just be like, no, you know, I would love to help maybe next time, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, just realizing that we don't have to make everyone happy all the time either. And Anytime we're making changes there, it's guaranteed that people around us are going to be uncomfortable. So we can just like, accept that. Yeah. Like even if it's a very positive change, you know, for you, people don't need to understand and approve of all of our decisions, including, you know, learning to say yes and no. Correct. Correct. Um, I want to, I want to transition a little bit to our phraseology within our operatories. 
and things that I find are really common that we say to patients. And this, honestly, this piggybacks a lot on being liked. Um, I feel like so many times when we are talking to patients about their conditions, we use words that maybe we don't even realize, but it minimizes the situation. And we have to be mindful of what happens in our patient's head when we do that. So the words little and small can be, can really undermine what we're trying to do for our patients. So when we are showing our patient, you know, an x-ray and we're, we're showing them, you know, a, a crack in the tooth and we say, you know, I see this small crack here. Well, now that patient just thinks, well, it's small and it's no big deal. When we say, I see a little bleeding, your gums look a little puffy. That makes it seem like no big deal. So I think we have to be so mindful and intentional about the words we're using with our patients because it's like, honest, honestly, it's almost that like automatic, like, you know, oh, I see a little bleeding. And why are we doing that? Are we, you know, I think a lot of us are doing it because we don't want to alarm our patient. Mm -hmm. We don't want to give them bad news. We don't want to, you know, get them all riled up. So instead of using little and small, I think we just be really accurate for what we're seeing. Hey, I'm seeing some localized bleeding or I'm seeing generalized bleeding here. And that's concerning to me because I understand that bleeding is a sign of active infection. Mm -hmm. It's a sign of bacterial presence. We know that when that bacteria enter your bloodstream, there's some really uh, high risk that can come from having these kind of oral pathogens floating throughout your body. There's a lot of systemic connections we're concerned about. So, you know, we don't have to paint this really gory picture for them, but we do need to be re real for what we're seeing. Yeah. I and, and like, so some of this, I think has to do again with like us feeling responsible for other people's feelings yes. and perceptions. And it's just not like possible to do that. Like First of all, it's it's a myth that we can control what someone else feels about something or what someone else thinks. Like we have no control over that anyway. So this is almost like a it's almost like a control tactic when we're trying to minimize or like baby our patients. And like you're saying, you don't have. I also don't believe that you know when people say like, oh, I'm brutally honest. Like I don't think you have to be brutally honest. I just think you have to be appropriately honest, like accurate, objective. You know, give the information sensitively you know, be smart about our words, but not lie to the patient or minimize the problem. Because when patients are able to feel whatever they feel in response to that, that will lead them to make a decision. Like, so if a patient feels upset that Sharissa says you have infection, that's okay. Give them a moment to be upset. Like, like it is a loss in, in the measure of their health, you know, a measure of loss in their health. What do you usually say? Yeah, yeah. Loss in their measure of health, a yep. loss in their measure of health. So it's, it's normal for them to have a moment of, Oh, that, that stinks, you know, and we don't have to try and fix that. We don't have to try and make them feel better. Like that feeling feelings are, are sometimes empowering, right? So if I feel, um, like, guilty for something. Let's say I feel guilty and I did something that wasn't perfect and I want to do better next time. That guilt doesn't have to move into shame. Like I'm a bad person because I made a mistake, but it can be like, oh, I, you know what? I hurt someone and I don't want to do that again. And that feeling might empower me to remember that experience and not do that again. So like the same thing with our patients, if they're feeling the loss, they're feeling scared or sad, that can lead to good things, them making good decisions. We don't have to fix their feelings or be responsible for what they're feeling. We have an ethical obligation to tell them what's going on in a sensitive way. Right. 
And they're going to have negative reactions to negative news. Mm -hmm. And that looks different for everybody. So sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's denial. So yeah, I think we have to realize, we just always have to realize like when we are giving someone bad news that they're allowed to have that space and those feelings. And that's part of the process of ownership. If they're not having those, that means there's something not connecting, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've seen a patient who has history of periotherapy and they have no idea that they have periodontal disease. So this is a big one to me. I think we, we don't even realize we do this, but when we start describing, oh, you know, I'm seeing bleeding, I'm seeing redness and puffy gums, obviously that communicates there's a problem, but that patient doesn't know what we know. And if we're not actively using the words, this is gingivitis, you have periodontal disease. Those are phrases we need to be using because if we're just describing what we're seeing clinically and then saying, hey, I'm going to do some periodontal therapy for this, they walk away not necessarily knowing what, they're, what they have going on. And that it blows me away how many patients have said that, like, wait, what? I have periodontal disease? And they've had three rounds of SRP in the past. Right. So right. I it think would be- that's really important. Absolutely. Defining what it is for them. So that would, it would be like an oncologist saying like, oh, you have some abnormal cells. We're going to do some chemotherapy and we'll see you in six months. Like, could you imagine that patient goes away, not knowing that they have cancer and like that that's a problem and it needs to be treated and it's an ongoing relationship. Like we do our patients a disservice by not telling them what it is and that it's a cyclical disease, that it's intermittent and latent, that it's going to require maintenance to keep it arrested and, you know, reevaluation and potentially retreatment. We're doing them a disservice. They don't know why we're doing what we're doing today and how important it is to maintain it moving forward. It's really not fair to them. Right, right. I think there's so many times that we kind of uh, fall into the whole, you know, using our dental jargon and talking like a hygienist. And to us, it's so normal and it makes so much sense. But to them, you know, it's like hieroglyphics. They, they don't know what we're saying. So we have to be really intentional. And this is a great idea to just kind of role play and, and sit down with your team and say, hey, what do we say a lot of? What are we hearing each other saying? And try to see it from the other side. Um, you know, I have a hygienist that we, we kind of coached a little bit on. She, was, she would say to the patient, I'm going to probe your gums. And I'm like, that actually sounds really scary. And, you know, like that, I don't want to, I don't want to have my gums probed. So instead, you know, let's phrase that as a periodontal evaluation. I'm going to check the health of your gum and bone. I'm going to take some measurements that are going to tell me whether we have inflammation or not. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, simple things like that can make all the difference. Um, You know, I think if we're talking about, you know, we're looking at radiographs and we see open margins around crowns, instead of calling that an open margin, a patient doesn't know what that is. You know, I like to say there's there's a space, there's a separation here, you know, that you can see where that crown isn't fitting right up against the tooth there. And that separation is allowing for acids and sugars and bacteria to get under that crown and create re-decay. Neither you nor I can reach that space. You know, it, it looks tiny here, but to bacteria, that's the size of like three football fields. So, you know, just being so mindful about speaking in their language and making it just very real for them and understandable for them is so important. Mm -hmm. I think a really good question, I know we are always wanting to update any medical changes that our patients are having. And I've learned the trick of not just using a yes or no question for that. 
So if you say, hey, have you had any medical changes? It's super easy for them to say no. Mm -hmm. And then I've had that where, and then, you know, you get halfway through the appointment and the patient's like, oh yeah, you know, I saw my doctor a couple of weeks ago and um, I've kind of had this arthritis flare going on. We started doing these injections. Right. Because, well, well, that goes back to like, people don't know what they don't know. Right. And they don't know how the body relates to the mouth. And that's why most people are like, oh, my, my joint replacement isn't relevant to what you're doing today, you know? And that's what leads us into issues. So yeah, getting really specific. So yeah, how would you ask about those things? Yes, I think on the flip side of just saying, hey, have you seen your doctor since your last visit with me? Mm -hmm. What changes have you had? What new medications are you taking? Mm -hmm. You know, just being very pointed in that because, you know, we all are on the automatic and it's easy to say, oh no, everything's the same and not really thinking. And, you know, sometimes for some of these patients, it's been six months. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time to have the time patients are like, wait, when was I here last? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just being super specific in, in those kind of questions as well. So one, one way that I do that is I list what I already know yes. and let them correct me. So yeah. I say, these are, so these are the medications that I have on file from our last visit, you know, and then I go through the list. Um, are there any new medications? Is there anything that you're not taking? anymore, any longer, Yeah, um, you know, and the same with, um, oh my God, not medications, you know, surgeries and that sort of thing. This is what I have on file. You have breast cancer in you know, 2008. Are you still seeing your oncologist? Are there any new treatments or medications going on in regards to that? Any new diagnoses? Have you had a recent PET scan? What were the results? You know, like getting really curious and asking quality questions based on question one or yeah. based on the information that we have. Yeah. I think when we're talking to patients about treatment planning and financials and that sort of thing, I think instead of using, you know, fees or costs, um, I think investment is a really smart way because that's in reality what it is. You are making an investment in your health and in your long-term ability to chew and speak and function. And, you know, I think that's a great reframe and that's a really easy one to use. I think too, you know, we have so many patients that are very insurance driven, mm -hmm. right? So they're like, well, does my insurance cover that? And we all know that's a whole nother conversation about, you know, how insurance really works. But, you know, we like to say that's your insurance benefit. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the benefit that they provide there. You know, it's not, it looks, it's a very different model than our, your medical insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's the benefit they provide. And that's another opportunity. Like, I love that opportunity when patients are kind of like coming from an insurance perspective because it's an opportunity to say, you know, insurance is a business. At the end of the day, they have to make money. So they dictate what they will and won't cover based on, you know, statistics and how they can win at the end of the day. So although there is that benefit, I never want to treatment plan. I never want to look at you clinically and let your insurance drive what you actually need. Your insurance company isn't here looking at what's going on. They don't know about your your medical history, you know, that they, they have limitations based on the fact that they're a business. So I never want you to plan anything for you based on what they will or won't allow. I'm just telling you what, what we must do to get you to a place of health. And then whatever your insurance covers is, is great. If not, let's work through the difference, you know, whatever, whatever they won't cover or whatever, um, you know, the outstanding balance would be, or the actual cost would be like, let's talk about payment plans and how we can make this work for you. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a whole lot about a lot of phrases and I'm sure we could honestly probably go on for hours, but I wanna leave us with this thought. Um, I think we all are very, very aware with the uh, limitations or the issues that patients have with trusting dental professionals. 
There's a lot of people out there that sadly have had some bad dentistry done. They've had some bad experiences. They've spent a lot of money or time and it didn't pan out to be, you know, what they had wanted or, you know, the, you know, the work that they had done had, had failed them. So trust is a huge issue in dentistry and building trust is where it's at for our practices to be really proficient and successful. Mm -hmm. So we can be very, very intentional about all the things we say but I'm always going to promote showing over talking because that brings so much relevance and it makes us trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So take your photos, show them the x-rays, educate them, grab the hand mirror. You know, patients are relying on us to look at everything and tell them what's going on and what they need. But the more you can involve that patient in that process and show them actively what's going on, that brings relevance and that brings trust and that brings the patient to a quicker place of ownership to say, oh my gosh, I had no idea it looked like that. I had no idea it was that bad. I had, you know, I can't see back there. I could feel it, but I didn't realize it looked like that. You know, that's the beauty of the iTero scan and being able to turn it every different direction and let them see it all the way from that very distal margin of number two and see that, you know, active decay there. So I think just Yes, obviously we want to be so intentional with our words, but if we're not showing them, then we're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. Yep. So I want to thank everyone for their time this week, and we are always looking for connection and collaboration. And we want to encourage you to join us on our Mighty Network. Um, if you just download the Mighty Network app and search for us on Bulletproof Hygiene, we are there to connect with you. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to hear what your questions are about this episode. Also, if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts, we want to hear what you are interested in and we are happy to design, you know, future podcasts according to what you guys want to hear about. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.